Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Canadian Grand Prix and ask, did the stewards get it right or did they get it wrong? Canadian Grand Prix produced a fifth victory of the season for Lewis Hamilton and the first big on-track controversy of 2019. Sebastian Vettel was the on-the-road winner, but a five-second penalty for rejoining the track in an unsafe manner after an off at Turn 3 meant he dropped to second. The whole F1 watching world has been offering their opinions on this topic, and this podcast will be no exception. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me is Scott Mitchell, who is, is sat by the, by the open window, so there may be some strange noises, but... You know, given the temperature today, that's uh, perfectly reasonable, I think. Montreal has absolutely roasted me this week. It's been, I'm actually quite relieved because I forgot my coat and I was a bit worried because the forecast when I left uh, left home uh, did suggest cloud and maybe the odd shower. And then actually when I got here, the forecast improved massively. And today uh, for the Grand Prix... Uh, the ambient temperature was sort of 29, 30 degrees, and it was absolutely sweltering, and it still is. It's really, really muggy outside. There's no, there's no breeze at all. It's a, uh, it's been, it's been quite brutal. I did have some sympathy, I must say, when I when I was sort of watching everybody get into their cars and everything, and I thought, oh, there are days to go motor racing, and uh, this is uh, this is one of the sort of more painful ones, I think. Well, we're currently in what seems to be a, a random grey box that's been built on a road. But uh, has little apartments that are rented out, and it's not one of our not one of our best. But you're currently sat on what looks like one segment of a of a multi piece sofa that's masquerading as a chair. It's 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 a baffling arrangement. But to be honest, the um, I don't think I've ever been in a uh, we've got a two bed apartment, and I've just I've never been somewhere where the arrangement like the floor plan is just totally confusing, isn't it? It's certainly unique. We've got more toilets than we do segments of the sofa. Yeah, and the bedrooms are bigger than the living room, and the bedrooms aren't even that big. So, peculiar. I mean, obviously, this is a regular segment on the Autosport Post Grand Prix podcast, and everybody knows, everyone likes to know what we get up to, uh, travel-wise, accommodation-wise, and I must admit, it's been 
perfunctory, would you say? Uh, yes. But well, you've spent more time I'm, here than I, I mean, have. It wouldn't be the first word I'd choose, but it's... What would be the first word you choose? I mean, passable, but it's just totally random because it's just this sort of box sat on the road, stuck out from another building. So it's, it's very, very strange. It's baffling. It's very Much very like strange. this conversation. Yeah, well, there was a moment when your window fell out as well. Yeah, but I thought we weren't going to mention that. I can't imagine that the proprietor of our apartment listens to the Autosport podcast, to be fair. Well, we should have the window fell out as well. It didn't, it didn't get smashed out or anything. No, I, I it, opened it. It was, it was within it. normal parameters. I opened it and the, yeah, the, the window of my bedroom fell out. And no, like if it, it's been so hot that that wouldn't have been a problem apart from the fact that it's on the ground floor and I don't really fancy like randomers like climbing into my bedroom window to be honest overnight yeah security would be a little bit of an issue we may hear some of the montreal nightlife contributing opinions as they walk by the window it's quite it's quite a noisy road so if you hear anything strange most likely it's that although it, it may well be scott well let's get straight down to it let's get to the, the the matter at hand the sebastian vettel penalty scott now vettel was leading the rear stepped out when he turned into turn three, the, the three, four right left chicane, took to the grass, in rejoining, kind of came across the track and squeezed Hamilton up against the wall, stayed ahead, earned a five second penalty, and the the stewards got the mass opprobrium of the of the social media masses. So what do you make of it? Initially I shared the opinion of the infuriated masses and Upon further reflection, a few replays, some slow-mos, and just a bit of common sense, really, I've changed my opinion in terms of whether I think the penalty was correct. The penalty, I believe, was correct based on the black and white application of the rules, and ultimately that's what the rules are there for, and can't really blame the stewards for implementing a rule that exists. There's precedent as well. Max Verstappen got a five-second penalty for rejoining the track in an unsafe manner and forcing another driver, Kimi Raikkonen, off the road. That was at Suzuka last year. So that is what it is, really. That's kind of the penalty for Seb was par for the course. I do get the argument that when you go off like that and you're trying to, you know, all Seb was trying to do for the most part was wrestle the car and regain control and then get back on track as anyone would and you could argue that any different kind of action during that process might have led to a spin or or a crash maybe maybe he did the the right thing but ultimately intentional or not he create he created a situation whereby he he forced Hamilton four wheels off coming out of the chicane as Hamilton tried to get past he was either out of control or calculatedly sort of drifting out once he'd actually gathered it all back up and had Hamilton not backed out there would have been a crash so yeah he did rejoin the track in an unsafe manner to a degree he certainly forced Hamilton off off the road so as much as I would personally like there to be a little bit of understanding of the situation especially the sporting principles at play i I think to the letter of the law, you have to say the penalty was justified. Yeah, there's there's a couple of layers to the argument for this. I think once it had gone to the stewards, the stewards were correct. They have to apply the, the, the letter of the law in this situation, the International Sporting Code, and the sporting regs collectively are, are fairly clear. However, I think the frustrating thing is that Formula One's backed itself into this corner where there isn't that kind of leeway. I would say it was kind of on the limit because Vettel gains a disadvantage from going onto the grass. It's Remember, it's not an asphalt runoff, which would be a different set of circumstances. It's grass, it unsettles the car, you have to gather it all up and try and sort of get the Ferrari points in the right direction and still stay ahead, which he was able to do. Different challenge if it's if it's asphalt. And obviously these rules apply whether it's asphalt, gravel, which don't see a great deal anymore, grass, whatever. So from that perspective, I think there, there was automatically a natural disadvantage that he dealt with in terms of not gaining an advantage from going off. You could argue it eliminated a disadvantage. That's a that's another argument. So I would ideally like to see in that situation you say, well, you made a mistake, you gained a, you did you were disadvantaged by it. You gathered it up. However the stewards can't look at it that way. That's that's the fundamental problem because of the way things are things are done. And while I'm it's easy to bandy around things like consistency, etc. All incidents are a little bit different. In an ideal world I'd have liked to have seen 
common sense, shall we say, prevail and that one to have been let slide as, as on the edge. But again, they couldn't. They couldn't let it slide. It wasn't Emmanuel Pirro, who was one of the stewards and and uh, and his friends just being anti-racing or anything. It's that the rules are effectively anti-racing in the situation. I'd like to see more leeway. The leeway isn't there. So it is the right call, irritating as it is. And the fact is that once they started to investigate it, they have to assess all of the available information. And when they looked at the, the onboards at de- in, in detail... When they when they slowed the the, the footage down, which is, uh, and I've said this a few times now, it's a risky thing to do because it's so much easier to see things and extrapolate things from slow motion than judging it in real time when it happened and the driver or the the sports person had to make that decision or made or made that decision. So so that that is tricky, but that is one of the tools at their disposal. There was also some CCTV by the by the side of the track that they had access to to I think see where Seb was looking in his mirrors like how his head was positioned and the stewards had all of this available data and therefore they came to the unanimous decision that ultimately Seb did a very very good job of gathering it up and getting back in control and that wasn't the problem but the problem then became that he did get in, under control and then drifted across so there was a key moment where he probably could have responded differently to how he did and when you've got that situation and when you've got black and white rules like F1's sporting rulebook does it's no different than Hawkeye being deployed in tennis and spotting that a ball was out of play and the decision not being overruled if it was if it was declared to be in or you know a video assistant referee in football clearly showing that a player's offside but the offside not being given. I'd say there's a there's a slight difference in that this is a more dynamic situation than a line call or a you know you're, you're judging a fact with a line call in tennis. Was it behind the line or on the line or within the line? Same thing with with cricket. Did it hit in the line or hit? Did it hit that? Or did it pitch outside the line? These kinds of things, even offside rules, are a, a similar thing. And offside rules require a certain degree of interpretation when it comes to active players or whatever they call it. So I think this this is the this is a difficult thing, but yeah, once you do have a hard and fast rule, you do have to you do have to apply. It. I mean, I personally would like to be in a situation where a driver like Vettel can make that mistake, gather it all up, come back onto the track. His momentum carries in part of the way across the track. You know, he he wants to make sure Hamilton doesn't have an easy way around him, uh, so he definitely isn't going going out of his way not to squeeze him a little bit. And it's I don't think it's a coincidence that basically Hamilton ended up in a space that was roughly the width of a Formula One car. That that was, I think, a certain amount of precision on, on Vettel's part, shall we say. So again it comes down to this this what kind of racing you want to see, whether you want to take the let them race view. And if if Ham if Vettel had been twenty minutes twenty millimeters further across, that probably would have gone for me from something that ideally would should have been okay to something that was was a problem. These very, very small margins, because no situation is identical. No, and I, I agree that it you know, you, you do want to see see that racing, and uh, and there is an element of um, dynamism in, in in the way the situations evolving. But you make the point that in other sports, such technology exists to rule on a simple element of fact, and this is slightly different. I mean, it it does boil down to fact whether or not Hamilton had to take evasive action, yes or no, and he did. So as much as I, I, I think, I think, I think I'm on your side when it comes to the sort of the, the fundamental sporting principle at play, letting the drivers race and knowing that there's going to be hard racing. So you're never going to let the other person go through. And Hamilton even said he'd act exactly the same as as Vettel. I'm just coming at it from a point of view as I, I don't like necessarily the fact that it's done this way, but the rule is quite clear, and with the evidence at their disposal, I don't think the stewards could do anything else other than say, you rejoin the track unsafely, you forced a rival off the road. And I'd agree, it's, it's a rule book problem. Yeah, uh, which is a... It's difficult to know how to fix it, and that's a d- different topic entirely. The, big, the thing that gutted me with it was we had... The, the, I thought it was a really, really good race up until that point. Hamilton and Vettel, from the from the very beginning, 
there was it's cat and mouse, and then Hamilton ran slightly longer when he so when he came out, he would the, I think the the margin that Vettel had had doubled, but then within nine laps of what was it a four point nine second margin was down to zero point seven, and Hamilton was in DRS range, and it was just it was epic, and all of the life of that battle got sucked out of it by that. It was deflating, wasn't it? Yeah, it it was awful. It was, wasn't it? It was like letting the air out of a balloon. It was horrid. And I I think that played a big part in it, in that we finally got this kind of shooting war going on on track that we've we've been waiting for, and then it's it's kind of taken away. And it was the worst thing was that because it was kind of done, Vettel had the penalty, and Hamilton was never going to drop further than five seconds behind. It just wasn't going to happen unless something went disastrously wrong. Vettel tried to pull away, nudged it up to about three seconds at one stage. But it's never going to happen. I think that was the really bad thing, that it just kind of ended. It just ended it, killed it, stone dead. And it's a sucker punch for the championship as well. Because now, not only have we had that point swing, you know, this could... This, imagine how, how cool would it be if you could look back in about 10, 10, 10 years, 10 races time, and point back, at this race and say that was the moment where Vettel and Ferrari season changed they went on this amazing run and they got themselves back in title contention instead they've lost further ground at a race where they really should have won and Hamilton's also gained an extra seven points against Valtteri Bottas his nearest challenger inside the Mercedes team so all all this result has done is, is strengthened Hamilton's grip on the title put Vettel and Ferrari even further adrift, made it even less likely they're going to turn it around, even though we're only a third of the way through the season. I know that the the consequences for the race, for the championship, for the entertainment shouldn't really be at the heart of what the stewards are doing. It's just a, it's just a shame that we have those consequences. No, it's it's a it's a real real pity. It, it sort of ruined what should have been the best race of the, of the season I guess just to conclude and sum up opposition I think we're both broadly in agreement that the the application of, of the rule as is by the stewards was sadly correct but we would like to see a situation where there's a little bit more room for interpretation and to allow things to slide in a kind of no harm no foul type situation yeah I take no pride or joy in being a smart ass about this at all normally when you know when you like you, you know you, you, you must know what it feels like when you feel like you've You've put together a really sort of nuanced argument against the grain. It's a little bit contrarian, but you know that you're right. So that kind of feels good because there's no moral victory to be had here by arguing that the stewards aren't the villains of the piece, is there? Yeah, the the stewards did nothing wrong. It's like anything. It's a three-dimensional problem. There's multiple layers to it. You've got the kind of local layer, which is the incident happened. Those are the rules. How do you apply them? Apply them as they're applied. And then you get into the bigger question of, should there be more leeway? Should things be allowed to happen? I do agree, no two incidents are the same. Even that comparison with the Verstappen incident at Suzuka. Very similar, but not not identical incidents, actually. Not identical. And I think what we'd like to see, ideally, is Vettel and Hamilton have that moment. Vettel's on the limit, maybe, but gets away with it, and then they, they carry on to continue their battle. But well, the other point we have to remember, though, is that Vettel didn't just suddenly find himself on the grass. He was on the grass for a reason, and that was that the rear got away from him on turning, had the wobble, off he went onto the grass. So this was a Vettel under pressure, Lewis Hamilton bearing down on him, and Vettel has gone off the road. And regardless of what happens and whether he thinks the penalty was fair, he's created that with another mistake. And it's very, very sad to see, because up until that point... He'd had this brilliant performance from from Vettel, but it's very easy to say this with hindsight. But I must, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not trying to sound clever, but I did have this feeling as the second stint developed, when Hamilton was starting to take lumps out of Vettel's advantage on the track. Part of me was thinking, when it's Hamilton stalking Vettel, I I, I do expect something to happen. The other way around, I'm not entirely convinced, but part of me was certain that Hamilton was going to get by. I think I said to you, you did say I, it, yeah. I said Hamilton's going to win this. And it's a shame because I adored the press conference on Saturday after qualifying when Vettel was You're on just pole. just so delighted, wasn't he? He was absolutely chuffed. And I love it when Seb's in a, in a good mood because he's a bloody good person. He's a really good guy. And he loves racing, and he's funny, he's cheeky, 
he was making jokes at people's expense, left, right and centre, just because, but not in a nasty way, just because he was having a great time. And when was the last time we saw that? When? Yeah. A, a gen- genuine question. When? Was maybe Spa when he... Well, it's been a long time, last, hasn't it? Yeah. Spa last year. His la- it was his last win, wasn't Spa it? Spa last year was the last last victory, yeah. And, and that was pre- it. He overhauled Lewis and Merck, didn't he? So that would have been a particularly pleasing performance for him. But It was kind of... It was supposed to be the kind of, at last, we've got a reset for Ferrari. That that was the feeling for, I think... Day one yeah. of pre-season. That was the last time I saw oh, yeah, Seb yeah, yeah. as happy as he was today. Because he was absolutely jubilant on day one of pre-season. And the season's just gone away from him. He's not been happy with the car. But he absolutely nailed that lap in qualifying. And it lifted him. It brought out this side of him we've not seen for months. And he was at one with the car in qualifying. And he carried that into the race. So he was excellent in the first, in the first stint. And... He was he was still in front in front of Lewis and it's just oh, it's just a shame that that chink in his armor that that question mark that shadow that that follows him around whenever there's combat and whenever it's combat with Lewis as well you just get this feeling that Hamilton's just he's just a relentless dominating factor in that rivalry isn't he Yeah it becomes one of these things that almost becomes this hex over you not fundamentally because it's Hamilton but it's because you know it's Hamilton behind you and you know that things have gone wrong and then it just takes your eye off the ball. In fact, we talked about this in a recent podcast that was released in the week before the race uh, with uh, with Clyde Brolin, the author, talking about being in the zone and that thing of you need to to be at your best, you need to almost not think about it. But as soon as Vettel's got Hamilton down on him, Vettel has now got all these things in his head saying, well, that happened then, that happened in that race, that happened in that race. You know, No matter how mentally robust you are, or to put it another way, you've got to be 100% mentally robust in order for that not to get to you. And I think we've seen evidence that Vettel probably isn't quite that robust when it comes to Hamilton. Probably any other driver, he'd, he'd have been okay. But no, I, th- I think that certainly will have played a part in what ultimately was another very small mistake, but incredibly costly, because ultimately it allowed him to lose the win. And we know that even if you don't look at it in the context of a fight with Hamilton, that, that Seb is ultimately not 100% mentally solid is he he's an emotional driver he's an emotional guy and it came out in a brilliant way on Saturday after qualifying when he was absolutely completely chuffed with what was going on and then 24 hours later we saw the dark side of that where he was really really furious ranting over the radio I don't want to say he was petulant after the race I think there was an element of he was he it wasn't petulance. It was that it was a mix of cheeky, really annoyed, wanting to make a point, and it, maybe it was a little. It was childish in a way. It was it a was, sulk, it was, it but was, it, it was quite calculated. Petty. It wasn't petty, was it? No, it no, wasn't... no. I, th- I think I think he did well in that he made sure he went into the FI garage and got weighed. He kind the of change of the bollards, the moving the, the number one bollards to uh, the front yeah. of. Well, well, move the number two bollard into the, the front of the Mercedes and move the number one. Bollard to the empty space in yeah, the, the holding area where he should have parked but didn't because he didn't want to be part of it. But to his credit, and this and this got completely missed after the race, and uh, it, it should be flagged up. There's full credit to Vettel for then turning up again for the podium because he said that the reason he didn't drive his car there, the reason that he was avoiding it is because he didn't want any part in the post-race stuff because he was absolutely furious. But he said out of respect to. Lewis and his performance, out of respect to Charles Leclerc in third place, and out of respect to the representative of Mercedes, he name-checked the representative of Mercedes as well. He wanted to respect what they'd done and the, their performance by being on the podium with them. And he, he did also say that they shouldn't be booing kind of in the direction of Lewis. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what Vettel gets made out to be this really, really childish, toys-out-the-pram bit of a numpty sometimes but he's really far from that it's he's he's a good guy thoughtful I think quite sensitive very emotional and ultimately an utterly excellent driver ultra quick but just flawed in battle isn't he that they I don't think there's any argument now that would convince me that he is not a flawed racing driver yeah, I mean, I think, and I say race, and I say flawed racing driver, in in the con, in the sense that he is a flawed racing driver, as in in combat he is flawed because every racing driver is flawed to some degree. Yeah, I mean, and I think it has gone into a little bit of a spiral because I think 
after after some of the earlier mishaps he had in his career, he, he became very much more solid in in, in battle in, in his Red Bull days. So it's definitely got worse. But I think the environment at Ferrari doesn't necessarily help. I don't think they've, they've quite got things exactly as you need to get the best out of him. And it, yeah, it just keeps happening. I think that's the the real the real worry uh, for him. But the one saving grace, saving grace, perhaps isn't the right word, but you mentioned whether this could be a turning point for Ferrari. I don't think it is. The reason being, Montreal is an extremely unusual circuit, disproportionately weighted towards the straights. The Merck was basically quicker in the corner. The Ferrari was quicker on the straights. Because of the balance of that, that added to a couple of tenths advantage for Vettel in qualifying. Plus, we also had very high track temperatures this weekend, which is good for Ferrari. Now, we might still have very good very high track temperatures in Paul Ricardner in a couple of weeks. I don't imagine the weather will be quite good for that for that race. But I don't feel that this was kind of indicative that Ferrari's suddenly going to be beating Mercedes week in, week out on, shall we say, more orthodox tracks. It's certainly been good for Ferrari and Vettel, but it might just have been a, effectively a, a one-off. Um wouldn't say I know what you mean by one off. I wouldn't say that on the grounds that it just didn't feel really much different to Bahrain and Azerbaijan. Really, it was just a circuit that the the, the Ferrari was working well on. They were able to get the tires to work on. Um, one well, of the Ferrari couldn't in Baku. As when, well, when, it, when, when it mattered, yeah, absolutely. But my my I'm, what I mean is that sort of the fundamental performance around the circuit was there. And it's the third time in seven races. I mean, that's what's it, it, really it, it weird, be, isn't it? It would be very different if they'd won three out of... Because you, you could imagine a situation where they've won the three races they could have won. And then maybe Mercedes dropped the ball at another one. And suddenly Ferrari's got four wins. And everyone's like, yeah, great. Exactly. It's fine margins. And it's Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton that are doing the business at the moment. And Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel were falling by the wayside a little bit. It's. I do definitely agree that I wouldn't take that as evidence that France and Austria and co are going to be as strong as this and Ferrari suddenly turned a corner going into the weekend Mattia Bonotto the team principal said there wasn't going to be a magic solution uh, that there was nothing uh, significant in the pipeline in the in the next couple of races to do anything to drastically change their fortune so yeah this was a matter of uh, circumstances conspiring to, to to let Ferrari have a more competitive weekend but I'd be surprised if we go to France and it's anything other than Mercedes leading the way, probably locking out the front row and having another one too. Yeah, the Mercedes is certainly the, the better all-round package and I think you'd expect it to be the stronger package at the majority of circuits, barring some change of, of uh, circumstance and the competitive balance, of course. We should mention Mercedes had their Phase 2 engine in Montreal, which seemed to deliver decent performance, but Lance Stroll's one did destroy itself in Saturday practice, and there was the hydraulic leak that Hamilton had before the race that they were hurriedly repairing. So, well, Mercedes didn't know that for certain that Lewis was going to make the start, and if he could make the start, would he make the finish? Because, as uh, as, as Toto Wolff, team principal of Mercedes, put it, the car was in a million pieces on Sunday morning. Yeah, very much so. I mean, teams are quite good at dealing with those sorts of situations. They normally make the start, but when you take things apart and put them all back together, you never know. Just one little error can uh, can engineer in a in a problem. The stroll engine failure is the bigger concern for me for Mercedes, and if you're going to put it another way, the biggest sort of silver lining for Ferrari it shows that Mercedes is fallible, and the the big thing for Merck was that they didn't know what the cause was. Just that it was a failure in the internal combustion engine caused Stroll's fiery exit uh, from FP3 after just one. Well, it was right at the end of the installation lap at the start of FP3. And it, it prompted all sorts of discussions. Obviously, Mercedes had to work out, do we crack on as normal? Do we run the engines uh, slightly lower for the rest of the, the weekend? Because we don't know how it affects the, the other five cars, the two works Mercedes, the, the other racing point and the two Williams. And ultimately, they went, well, we've got to trust the dyno. We've done all this work. We don't know what the failure is. It would be... We, we're not in a position where we can't, yeah, we can't afford to to turn it down. Plus, you've got to be able to, you've got to run them at full whack how you want to identify if it's a common problem or if it's something that might be isolated to one car. Uh, but we we have to wait and see what they identify the stroll problem as being, and may, yeah, maybe there's going to be a 
a little bit of a chink in the Mercedes armour. Maybe this uh, engine is a little bit unreliable. Toto Wolff and Lewis Hamilton both said in the build-up to the to, to the weekend that it's not been the smoothest ride development-wise. They've set, set amb- ambitious targets and not always reached them immediately. Maybe this is another little sort of blot on the copybook. Well, it wasn't just about Hamilton and Vettel. Charles Leclerc took a fairly uneventful third place. I think actually quite a useful weekend for Leclerc in that... While qualifying was disappointing, he didn't put together a great lap in Q3. And then in the race, although in the first stint, he kind of hung on to the battle. They extended his stint and he was kind of out of out of touch in the end. I think it was a good solid weekend for him. Only a second podium in, in seven races. So probably kind of what he needed, didn't he? Not to have a weekend where something's gone badly wrong. It was just sort of it was solid rather than spectacular, wasn't it? Yeah. He was sort of there or thereabouts compared to, to Vettel. He, he didn't have a very good qualifying at all. He he just didn't really pick up through Q2 and Q3. It's sort of a is exactly what you and I were saying over the winter. Really wasn't 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 it? He had this trait while he was at Sauber last year as a rookie where he didn't quite hook up his 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 ideal sector times in in qualifying, and there was always more often than not there'd be something left on the table and that's proven to be the case at Ferrari where obviously the the difference is um, for, b- between starting first and starting third it probably should have been a, a front row lockout for Ferrari in Canada the race then might have been rather different um, Well just, just to support this point Sebastian Vettel was 7,000th off his theoretical best based on, based on the three sector times the only driver who did string together the three best sector times with Kubica who fell in Q1 anyway, so didn't have that many runs. And the driver who had the worst deficit to his actual theoretical best was Charles Leclerc, 0.386 off what it could have been. So again, that shows that shows the the difference there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But other than that, I thought Charles did did a, a perfectly good job, and I think it was um, Ferrari's first double podium finish of the season. So even though obviously the Vettel penalty overshadowed everything, it was still a a decent weekend for Ferrari, especially by 2019 standards. And the clerk did also manage to beat Valtteri Bottas, who had a kind of even more difficult weekend. He finished fourth. Qualifying kind of went wrong for him in, in Q3, where he had that spin on the first run, coming out of turn two, hit a bit of a bump, unsettled the rear, took a bit of a bite of the grass, looped it around, and then the, the second Q3 lap was a was a real mess, to be honest. By his own admission, there are a few lockups and mistakes, so he was he was. Well down when it when it came to when it came to qualifying, so he ended up starting down in uh, in sixth place, and then he lost a position to Hulkenberg at the start. So he was stuck behind the Renaults. Tough afternoon for Bottas, but at least coming out with fourth place, okay, isn't it? And a bonus point for fastest lap. But he he did uh, honestly say he honestly admitted afterwards that he couldn't really be that satisfied with the result he was aiming for a podium his damage limitation he didn't get it um he's had a wake-up call in his That's own words phrase, the phrase he used wasn't it yeah exactly in that title well, well he's piling massive pressure on himself because he knows he needs to stay as close as he can to hamilton precisely and bottas says he's not wilting under any un, uh, under any pressure in this title battle but he needs to he needs to turn it around because it was that it, it, what's happened over the last two races is exactly what i feared might happen and what I feared would derail Bottas's title bid because we went to Monaco and now Canada, two places where Bottas, based on what what where he's strong and where Lewis has maybe been a bit vulnerable in recent years, offered Bottas the chance to sort of get back in charge of that title battle. Instead, he's fallen. I think he's more than a, a race wins a quite comfortably more than a race wins adrift now, isn't he? Of Lewis in the in the in the points, thirty twenty nine points. I think he is behind. Is that correct, Ed? Yeah, twenty nine points. Yeah. Twenty nine points, which is a, a, a big deficit. He wasn't he wasn't helped in the first stint in this race. Um, he had some overheating problems, the engines and the brake, uh, the engine and the brakes. That was a, actually a legacy of that botched qualifying because he ended up with more cars in front of him than he and Mercedes expected. So I'm, I'm guessing that's to do with the 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 cooling setup and, and, and whatnot and, and how they ran the car which meant that uh, that they needed to make a couple of modifications at the pit stop to to help that and it and it was settled in the second stint and he was able to crack on a little bit more but yeah just all round just a a slightly tricky far from perfect day he didn't really feel like he was struggling 
all weekend. It just when it mattered in qualifying, it didn't come together, and that had a knock-on effect in the race in more ways than one. And it's uh, it's put a big dent in his title hopes. It was a shame that with those cooling limitations, he wasn't able to pressure the Renaults a little bit in that first stint because it kind of ended up being one of those races that he just sort of sat there, and then it comes to you. So it ended up being he sat there, he overcut his way past people, and then it, because he then picked up the pace once he was in clear air, he was able to take the free pit stop and get faster slap. So once again, someone who's not had a necessarily a great race, who just happens to be in the right place to make the pit stop, gets the bonus point for no good reason. I don't, I don't like this for this exact reason, because this keeps happening as it was expected. Well, it's a bonus point for mediocrity, ultimately, isn't it? Yeah, the Pierre Gasly memorial point, as we, uh, as we like to call it. He, he's picked it up a few times, and he's been, he's been struggling. I mean, ultimately, I don't blame people for going for it. They're right to. But with the way the rules are, the fastest lap point is uh, is deep is deeply flawed. Um, anyway, well, Max Verstappen obviously had a disaster in qualifying. He was unfortunate in that he had to go out for a second run in Q2. He tried to qualify on the mediums so he could start on the mediums. wasn't quick enough. And then he ran and Kevin Magnussen had his shunt coming out of the last corner. Uh, and that meant that Verstappen wasn't able to... to <laughs> Set a set a proper time. Verstappen partly the architect of his own downfall there, but only only partly, you could say. Well, I, yeah, it was avoidable in in several ways because had Max hooked up his best sectors when he was out on the medium tires, he'd have done a lap time that would ultimately have been good enough to get him into the the top ten shootout. But then once that didn't happen and he needed to go to softs, Red Bull should have just sent him out quickly, sent him out out of sync bank the lap because leaving it to the last minute you leave yourself susceptible to a yellow flag or a red flag or or um or, or, or anything uh, it was an it felt like a needless risk to be honest the strange thing is that red bull are normally quite good for example there have been times in q3 where they've only had one set of tires but they've run slightly out of phase with everyone kind of in between the normal two runs so I'm, i was surprised they didn't go he didn't even need to do a particularly good lap on softs to get through. No, and um, that was a massive shame. However, such is the uh, balance of power at Red Bull. Max doesn't need to make it into Q3 or have a particularly special race to uh, to be comfortably the, the, the lead Red Bull at the checkered flag. Well, it's unfortunate. Gasly had an opportunity in Q3, slightly underachieved, given how much Leclerc... Uh, underachieved in uh, in qualifying he could he could potentially have been up in third on the grid could have been ahead of should have been ahead of Ricardo could have been ahead of Leclerc so you think oh, that's not ideal and then in the race Gasly he was a little bit unfortunate because he went for the early stop he had to stop fairly early because he was starting on softs locked in thanks to having to uh, to use them having set this time in Q2 on them but he had his he had his stop and then he just got stuck behind Lance Stroll forever now, uh, Daniel Ricciardo got past Lance Stroll quite quickly. So, again, there's a chance for Gasly to change his race, and, and he didn't. And that's the frustrating thing. You know, I was quite impressed by Gasly at times last year. But I've just been really disappointed that this season. To not out-qualify Ricciardo in, in qualifying was, was very poor. To then get beaten by both Renaults in the race, let alone the teammate that started down in ninth, that's... <sighs> That's that's irredeemable, isn't it, as a performance? Well, I mean, he could have scored no points, I guess, but it's the pressure is on Gasly, and he needs to show that he can adapt to the car and get the pace out of it. I think he's a, he is quick, but he needs to show he can plug himself into the car, work with it, and get the best out of it. He keeps saying he's he's kind of getting there, but the progress hasn't been quick enough. You know, when you're in one of the top teams, you really have to deliver. You can't just deliver sometimes. So, and this race at weekend. Defeat uh, it, it defies that suggestion, doesn't it? There, there wasn't really evidence in that qualifying or race performance to suggest he was on top of anything. No, I mean, it, it, no. At best, it was an okay performance at the very best. I think Red Bull will be uh, expecting better, and you know, he did end up finishing behind both Renaults, Daniel Ricciardo and Nico Hulkenberg. Ricciardo's really settled in well now. He had that first couple of races where I think he was there's a little bit of culture shock. I think adapting to the the realities of a of a car that's not a Red Bull and he had to kind of reprogram the way he was driving. But if you look at it now, he's uh, he's performing well. Did well in Monaco, performed well here. He's out-qualified Hulkenberg six times out of seven. Now, and although team orders 
prevented Hülkenberg attacking late on. Ricardo starting to look very much like the, the driver that Renault invested and spent all that money on. Yeah, he had a mega lap in qualifying and then in the race he was uh, very aggressive, wasn't he, in his defence uh, against Valtteri Bottas. And yeah, he got a bit lucky with um, the fact that the team was willing to de- deploy team orders to keep Hulk behind him at the end. Nico wasn't very happy with that at all. But Don't blame the team for that. No, Ricardo put was the one who put himself in the position to benefit from that. He'd been in the position for the majority of the race. And ultimately, Renault really, really needed that big point score because it's been a diff- difficult and disappointing start to the season for them, like it has Ricardo for team and driver. And um, given all of the hype about the Renault package for the upcoming French Grand Prix, this result might well be the beginning of a uh, upward trend for Renault and Ricardo. Well, I think the fact it's on a on a bit of a power circuit as well is very encouraging for Renault. It gives some support to their claims that they've uh, they've made steps so yeah let's see what they can how what they can do come Paul Ricard obviously the home Grand Prix they're heavily involved with it that's a big deal um we've talked about Pierre Gasly was eighth Lance Stroll I think is worth talking about in ninth now I actually thought Stroll had a pretty strong weekend obviously like we mentioned he lost his engine on Saturday he had to go back to the, not just the phase one but a very tired phase one that he'd used in the first six race weekends he qualified what 69 thousandths off Perez Perez admitted he could have maybe done a little bit better, but the racing point wasn't that competitive. But he had a huge good start, drove a great long first stint and managed to finish ninth. I actually thought that was a, a really strong performance uh, performance from Stroll. Um, the, the, the nicest thing I can say about it, and I mean this as genuine compliment, is it was, the, it was exactly the sort of drive I think we've come to expect from Sergio Perez, who's yep. one of the top midfield operators in Formula 1, that... You know, making the you know tra- almost transcending the performance level of the car by utilizing a, a, a good strategy, executing it absolutely brilliantly, racing really well as well at a cu- couple of key moments during the Grand Prix. And fair play to Stroll because I know he comes in for some criticism. We've certainly not been shy of, of criticizing him for poor performance this year. He absolutely needs to address his qualifying form, but he was close to Perez. Perez did have a lock up, so. Maybe that contributes to the gap. But bottom line is Lance had a, a weaker engine here than, than any of the other Mercedes cars, but by some way as well, because it was a lower spec and it had six weekends mileage on it. So fair play to him, because I, I would not have expected him before the race to, to be finishing in the points. Yeah, very much so. And obviously the racing point package was a marginal points car at best. So to finish ninth was a was a good effort. And of course, he beat Daniel Kvyat, who's uh, having a good run at the moment. Kvyat been quite... Impressed with overall. Very good. You know, again, he had to, to do some work to uh, ensure he beat Carlos Sainz, who ended up uh, ended up 11. It's actually one of those frustrating weekends for McLaren, wasn't it? They were they were super fast on Friday, and we were thinking, wow, they could be Class A lead, Class B leaders. And then it just started to unravel a bit. They both got into Q3, but then Sainz had the early stop, Norris had the early retirement, and... Science ended up dropping out of the points right right at the end. It seemed to go up in smoke along with the uh, temperatures in the brake calipers, didn't it? Because Science got that warning early on that the he needed to come into the pits to was it, it was to, to to deal with some brake caliper pressure or temperature, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get him in, and, and then and then Norris had this bizarre retirement, didn't he? We saw it was really peculiar how it came about, didn't it? So we saw him, we saw that he'd had an, a moment. We saw that he'd gone off at turn eight, which is the the chicane, isn't it, at the end of the middle sector, um, at the back of the circuit, and then, uh, how, and we'd already seen him have a lock-up, didn't we, at the uh, at the hairpin that had allowed Max Verstappen to 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 get close and attack, but it didn't lead to anything, and then we saw him come into a halt, crabbing a little bit down the start finish straight, pulling over into the pit lane exit with the uh, right rear of his car deranged and. It looked fairly obvious what happened at that point, didn't it? It looked like he clobbered the wall of champions. But then, on uh, further inspection, thanks to some replays, we realised that it didn't look like he'd hit anything at all. It just the, it looked like the right rear had failed and it had caught fire. And I've got no idea what happened. Yeah, McLaren have yet to really say exactly what went on there. It could well be that there was an overheating problem, something caught fire, and that's caused damage to a suspension component. That'd be the best guess. But it could be that the suspension component's gone and then he's slowed down and when you slow down you don't get the air cool and then you can get a fire. So we can't be absolutely sure. I'd lean towards the 
the former as the most likely, but we're going on limited information at this stage. We'll see what McLaren have to say about that. But it's frustrating for them to come out this weekend pointless with Norris uh, retiring in sights 11th. Made some made some decent progress, but yeah, they really need to be doing doing better out that weekend. And we've seen as McLaren have got stronger, Alfa Romeo have dropped back. They had a very difficult weekend. Um, Giovinazzi was actually pace was reasonably good, but he he glanced the wall. He had a spin in the race, so it was one of those messy ones. And of course, he picked up some damage at the start in that squeeze when Albon got stuck between Giovinazzi on the outside and Perez on the inside. I think Giovinazzi is. Uh, uh, Almost as under pressure as, as, as Gasly must be at Red Bull. Giovinazzi arguably more more so because there aren't going to be a shortage of contenders for an Alfa Romeo drive, are there? Whereas Red Bull, it's a bit trickier to work out what you do about replacing Gasly. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Giovinazzi have a really clean weekend because, again, he did have some problems on Friday. He's been a bit of a penalty magnet in terms of grid penalties. He didn't have anything this weekend. But he did have the, the slight edge on pace on Raikkonen. You know, we saw him in Q3 in Baku. I think Giovinazzi probably isn't. It might struggle to be destined for a very long Formula One career, but I think he's got a little bit about him. I'd like to see, you know, a, a clean weekend in an Alpha that's a bit more competitive again. And, and they were, they were struggling. And what doesn't help is when he's making mistakes in the, in the races. But Giovinazzi 13th, yeah, Kimi Räikkönen 15th, absolutely nowhere, and only really has having a worse, uh, a worse race. Magnussen's crash in qualifying forced him to start from the pits and also knackered Roman Grosjean's lap in Q2 as well. So Grosjean started a bit lower down and then Grosjean rather unfortunately picked up the detritus from that Albon incident when Albon was just squeezed between uh, Giovinazzi and Perez. I think he described himself as, was it Olympic bad luck Grosjean talked yeah, about? Yeah, he said he's basically got Olympic level misfortune. <laughs> yeah, he has a point. And it continued, didn't it, today? Yeah, I mean, he's not been going mad on track like he was last year at this stage. So uh, I, do, I do feel he's had a little bit of bad luck, but Hass need to get on top of why this car isn't very competitive in the race. Well, I'll tell you who was mad. It was the other Hass driver, wasn't it, today? Kevin Magnussen, what was he saying? It was the worst experience he's ever had in any racing car ever. Yeah, and uh, he, that that was given uh, short shrift, wasn't it, by his Hass team. First, he had his engineer come over the radio and say, well, yeah, we're not happy about either, but you know, the boys have stayed up all night repairing a car that you broke, so maybe get on with it. And then even Gunter Steiner, the team principal, had to come over the radio and didn't say enough is enough, Kevin. Basically, shut up and get on with it. We're it not is, happy about it. It is interesting, actually. One of the criticisms there's been of Magnussen uh, within the teams he's been in that sometimes if races kind of start to get away from him, he never stabilises and kind of sort of stays there, if you see what I mean. So maybe this was an example where they felt he could have cracked on a little bit, a little bit more. I mean, he finished behind George Russell in a not very quick Williams, and as well as Russell's driving, that's a bit unfortunate. Although starting from the pits does put you on the on the on the back foot, but yeah, tough for Haas. I think well, they're down to eighth in the constructors' championship again, so they uh, they need to start uh, making good on the uh, on the pace that they sporadically show. Uh, well, let's come back to the, uh, to the to the battle at the front. I mean, this race will be remembered for the for the controversy, and I think we are going to hear lots of discussions about this in the coming weeks about. What should be done? Should it change the approach, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Do you think it'll just be forgotten, or is this going to be a significant race for the way things are stewarded? I think it will cause genuine discussion to take place, and that is that is a good thing. There's there's always room for debate, and there's it's always valid to sort of hear what potential solutions there could be. I'd be surprised if it changed anything significantly, and. Over the rest of the season, I don't think it'll make a big difference at all. I don't think it'll make any difference because it's not set a precedent today. That's what I think a lot of people maybe sort of... No, it, it is following are, the precedent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've blow, it's been blown out of proportion a little bit because ultimately it's just how the rules are. Um, it's just unfortunate. I think, honestly, the biggest legacy it's going to leave for this season is it's uh, it's, it, it's going to mean that instead of having a six-race winless run at the start of the year, uh, Ferrari might well have... 9, 10, 11 race winless run because they're going to struggle to win any of the next sort of three or four with, with, with the way that Mercedes is as a an all-round package at the moment. And I think it's just given uh, Hamilton a massive, massive boost in his quest for a sixth world title because he gets stronger from this point of the season onwards uh, traditionally. And he's won five of seven races and has a massive lead in the championship. So if this is him not at his strongest, then the the, the, the rest of the championship might as well start crying. 
Yeah, very much so. And uh, we should mention, actually, that uh, Ferrari have lodged a notification of an intent to appeal. They have 96 hours from the moment they did that to decide whether to go ahead with uh, with their appeal. Usually these sorts of penalties aren't appealable and it may be considered inadmissible anyway, but uh, check autosport.com to see what's uh, what's going on with that. We'll have all the, the news there. And uh, yeah, we should probably uh, wrap it up. As you can probably tell, I'm, I'm slightly struggling to uh, to, to speak. Uh, so apologies if my voice has been a little bit a little bit off and uh, and Scott's got some uh, got some work to do so yeah, thanks very much for for listening like I say do check out autosport.com there's loads of fallout from the race loads of big stories and talking points there hear what drivers and team bosses have had to say about goings on in the Canadian Grand Prix check out Autosport magazine which is out on Thursday and also have a look at our plus subscriber area for a small fee you can read the world's best motorsport journalists check out sister titles motorsport.com F1 racing magazine out monthly and motorsport news out every week and do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already it's out every Monday and Thursday and as is the occasional bonus podcast as well you can also like us on the on the Spreaker website if you so choose thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another auto sport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.